Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon and good evening wherever you are. How is everybody today? Are we recovering from 4th of July? I know I am. I don't live back east. I don't live, you know, I don't live in like the areas where they allow illegal fireworks. But I'll tell you, it was like a war zone here. Absolute war zone last night. One even hit my house. So that was kind of crazy. You know, it didn't burn my house. It just hit my house. I had to step outside and kind of have a, have a eyeball with the neighbors. No words, just eyeball the neighbors. And my poor dogs, they were hidden underneath the coffee table behind my couch. That's crazy. But the funny thing is, you know, I have my young dog, my, my, my three-year-old, and she never been through anything like this before, so she was absolutely petrified. And then my 13-year-old uh, rat terrier, he just fell asleep. He was just like, dude, I've been there, done that, I'm good, you know. But uh, the night was interesting, you know, and then suddenly around 1030, everything got real, really silent. It just all went silent. Everybody, you know, because it's old families in the neighborhood, so everybody settled down, and that was the end of it. But uh, from about 6.30 on yesterday, it was just crazy, crazy car alarms going off, you know, everything like that. We're not used to that stuff in California, in Sacramento anyway. I know there's parts of California that still had, like, fireworks displays. We didn't even have that in Sacramento. You know, our big fireworks display that we get from the fairgrounds just didn't happen. You know, I know there was one at the baseball field. But other than that, it just didn't happen. So, yeah, we you know we don't get stuff like these, like this, you know, with the with these illegal fireworks. Not that I'm immune to it, because, you know, as a kid, I learned to make bottle rockets and all that. So I was out there along with people launching those bad boys, that and bang side cannons and things like that. But now that I'm an old an old fart, you know, things change and you realize you can blow your fingers off. And anyway, I even had a boyfriend who was so. Um, sharp that he and his friends would build model ships you know like the bismarck and different things just like regular revell models and they'd make them watertight and and then they drill out the smokestacks and they put m80 in the smokestacks and he'd rig it so that he could electronically set off the m80s and they had a big big swimming pool in their backyard and so they would start you know the the enemy at one end the u.s at the other end shove them at each other and as they came closer and in contact, he'd, he'd set off the M80s and, and blow the things up. You know, we did that stuff. So, I mean, but, you know, so at least that was in a pool. Like, out here, we're in the middle of a drought. So, everybody's front lawn is yellow. It's dry. So, it's, it's kind of, it's really frightening. Anyway, enough of that. We've got a great show for you tonight. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means that if you have a paranormal need, you think you might have activity going on in your house, we can reach you in almost every county in the state of California. Kind of cool. We also have a team in Washington, Oregon, and Nevada. So we're real proud of that too. But I want to welcome everybody. Uh, This is our second show in July. I'm sorry, our third show in July. I forgot about yesterday. (laughs) And I'm real excited to have our guest on. It's a topic that I've been kind of interested in because, you know, as a paranormal investigator, um, I've noticed some parallels on stuff. You know, I've, I've, 
I've looked into uh, to UFO cases and things like that, and then I've looked at cases of the paranormal, and there's some parallels. There's definitely some, you know, there's definitely some parallel with the activity that occurs. So it'll be interesting to talk to him and get his views on it, and see how he got into all that and stuff, and to do and to do and, to do, and do the study on that because um, I, I have gotten to the point where I've wondered exactly what we're as as uh, ghost investigators what we're investigating. You know, are we investigating ghosts or are we investigating aliens who are you know like in different dimensions and stuff like like with the UVPs we get? So it's going to be interesting to talk about him. But Mark Gober, I hope I say his last name correctly because you guys have. You guys know how I am with names. I'm horrible with names. But Mark Gober is my guest. Oh, my clock fell down. Let me get my clock going here. Can't tell what time it is. Look at that. I didn't even realize it was down. See? That's how the day has been. Oh, there we go. There we go. There we go. At least I'm not pushing buttons. But, uh, yeah. So I I can't wait to get him on. A couple of announcements. We're going to have a contest going on here. And I have, I have to finalize everything. But the woman that was on who draws the um, portraits of the dead, has offered to use a portrait for a contest to where the donations would go to California Haunts to make money for the radio show, which would be really cool, right? So I'm trying to finalize all that with her. And you guys will get to, it'll be like a raffle ticket deal. And you know you pay a certain amount because I think her portraits go for 175 and higher. So this would be something maybe $25, $30 per ticket. And you could get a portrait done of, of, of somebody deceased that hangs out around you. be kind of cool. All right? So I'm just working on the details. I don't know the exact price yet for that yet. But like I said, I'm just beginning to work on the details. But anyway, I want to bring my guest in so we get the show on the road. And uh, welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. And uh, let's get going here. Hello, sir. Hi, Charlotte. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Tell me about you and tell them about you. Sure. Well, we'll be talking tonight, I'm sure, about the paranormal, consciousness, UFOs, things like that. But my background on the surface has nothing to do with any of that. So uh, I actually uh, worked in investment banking to start my career in 2008. So I was there during the financial crisis and left in 2010 to join a Silicon Valley strategy firm. So advising companies on their business strategy and their technology. Again, nothing to do with the paranormal at all. Uh, spent 10 years there, became a partner at the firm. But while I was working at that firm in 2016, I was listening to podcasts on the topics primarily of business and health. I wasn't looking for anything paranormal, but I came across a, across a health show and the next episode in the queue happened to be a woman who talked about psychic abilities, that she had psychic abilities and she was communicating on behalf of her clients with interdimensional beings, spirits, angels, mediumship, that sort of thing. And I just remember being intrigued because I'd never heard someone speak about that in a serious way and then listen to more podcasts like it. And then over the course of a few weeks, realized, wait a second, the way I looked at life before doesn't is not compatible with any of these other things I'm hearing. And I'm hearing these things from a variety of independent sources people that have nothing to do with each other, different backgrounds, and they're coming up with a similar conclusion about a very mystical nature of reality. So then I said, okay, I need to really look into this and started researching, reading books, looking at scientific papers. Mm -hmm. And that led me to write my first book and into upside down thinking, which is all about the brain consciousness relationship, the scientific evidence for psychic phenomena, uh, things like that, which came out in 2018. 
And since then, uh, produced a podcast series where I interview many of the scientists who do those things and wrote three more books, the newest of which deals with UFOs, aliens, and spirits. Fascinating. And in the reading you did, what did you find out? I mean, that, that there's a lot of research there. I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years, so I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a, 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 a lot of twists and turns. So what did you find out? Yes, there's so much research. And that was one of the things that shocked me. It's there's so much. This has been investigated and I knew nothing about it. Uh, so the way I divided it, especially in my first book, is into two categories of phenomena. The first is psychic abilities and the other is survival of bodily death. And I did a chapter on each one in my book and end upside down thinking. So under psychic abilities, I looked at all the evidence for remote viewing, which is the ability to perceive something with the mind that's far away, both in space and time, um, telepathy, mind to mind communication, precognition, which is knowing or sensing the future before it happens, psychokinesis, which is the ability for the mind to, to impact matter without a physical connection. And then I also looked at those abilities in animals, so that's the psychic category. And then the surviving bodily death category, I looked at near-death experiences, mediumship and after-death communications, and children who have memories of what appear to be previous lives. And this is studied at the University of Virginia. So what did you find? I mean, what did, did, did you find out, like with the first part, what, what did you find out of, or what surprised you? Well, I was surprised at how rigorously this has already been studied. So, for example, in 2018, there was a study in American Psychologist, which is the official peer-reviewed academic journal of the American Psychological Association, and it aggregated all the statistical evidence of laboratory studies for all these psychic abilities, and they got a statistical effect that was published in a mainstream journal. And what's interesting to me, because when I, when I talk to people about these subjects, they'll say, well, so-and-so psychic was wrong once. They'll point to the time someone was wrong, which is, is a valid point. But the reality of psychic abilities doesn't imply the need for 100% accuracy. It implies the need for something beyond what chance would predict. So I'll give an example with the, the classic study on, on telepathy. Because for me, this is just a really big deal. Some people say, oh, this is just a small effect. But um, this, is, this is how scientists do studies in other areas. You have two people separated. Let's say Bob is in one room. Jane is in a room where she's in a, put into a relaxed state. And Bob in the room far away is told, is shown an image. And the researchers say to Bob, I want you to try to mentally send what you're looking at to Jane in the other room. And Jane doesn't know what he's looking at. Mm -hmm. So he does this for a long time. Bob's saying, okay, I'm trying to mentally send this thing. I don't claim to have psychic abilities. He's doing this for a while. Then Jane comes out of her relaxed state and the experimenters show her four images. And they say, which of the four was Bob sending you in this other room? And she picks one. And you'd expect the person in Jane's room over many, many studies to guess correctly one out of four times, 25%, because it should be totally random. Bob shouldn't be able to mentally transmit anything. However, it's not 25%. It's closer to 32%, which when you use statistics, this is massively significant. It falls in the category of six sigma, meaning the odds that this is happening by just chance is more than a billion to one against chance. So you have many results like this where it's statistically significant and very real and replicated, but it's subtle, but real. And that's the key because under the conventional models of what we, how science looks at the world, these things should not happen. And yet mm -hmm. they are happening. Mm -hmm. And why do you think they're happening? 
It's a great question. This this gets to the thesis of that first book and end upside down thinking, which is all about the relationship between the brain and consciousness. And what is consciousness? Because if we go back to that telepathy study, something's happening mentally between the mind of one person and the mind of another. And that's what I spent my time looking at is like, how could this be? And it could be possible if we're all interconnected through consciousness. So the analogy that I like to use comes from a philosopher named Dr. Bernardo Kastrup. He says, it's like we are all whirlpools within an infinite stream of water, where the analogy is that water is consciousness. So we have the sense of being an individual, but we're fundamentally interconnected. So if we, if we take this analogy and apply it to something like telepathy, it's sort of like the water from one whirlpool is getting into another whirlpool. There's a bit of my consciousness getting into your consciousness, for example, and sometimes it's just subtle. That is a mechanism that at least you know, conceptually could explain these things. We're part of the same consciousness. We perceive to be separate, that we're separate because we're part of these individual whirlpools, but there's something much bigger happening beyond what our eyes show us. Okay, okay. Have you ever had a psychic reading done on you, or have, have you ever felt you had abilities? Well, when I first got into this stuff in 2016 and was researching, I would come across psychics, people that read the Akashic Record, all kinds of paranormal things. And I said, why don't I just try it out? So I did sessions with many different types of psychics and they weren't always right, but sometimes they got things right that they couldn't have known. Like it's pretty shocking when it happens to you like that. And for me being so new to the, all this, it was like validation of the things I was researching. Okay. Okay. So, um, when, when you look at all this, like you say, you know, the, the percentages are as high as they are. Does that like you like you talk about that consciousness? And what that makes me think of is that what that whole six degrees of separation thing. You know that everything's connected to to everything else. Is, is yeah. that how you're looking at it? Yeah, completely. And then if you lump on top of that some of the findings in quantum physics, mm -hmm. it doesn't prove this, but it makes it at least possible conceptually. Like the notion of quantum entanglement, which has been established. This is something that Albert Einstein acknowledged. And he said, mm -hmm. this is spooky action at a distance. That, that was the term he used. It's the idea that two things that are physically separate from each other, when you affect one of them, the other one that's far away is impacted in a correlated manner at the exact same instant, which is faster than the speed of light. It's instantaneous. So something's going on. It implies an invisible connection that we can't see with our eyes. And that is accepted within physics. So some people like Dr. Dean Radin at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, he wrote a book called Entangled Minds, which mm -hmm. is trying to make this connection between quantum physics and consciousness. Now, this brings me to the topic of UFOs, too. In the universe, now, does, could this mean that we are connected with whatever's out in the universe as well? That's the way I look at it, is that there are probably who knows how many life forms that exist, not only on this planet, but in the broader universe and who knows what other dimensions. And if we're all part of the same consciousness, then it's like it's just different types of whirlpools within the stream, meaning we are interconnected, but they're different species. Okay. Because I've seen things on TV just within the last couple of months where, well, I mean, it's been years, but by the time I get Discovery Channel Plus back, you know, it's like I'm looking at stuff from like years of, of like these these people that have invented stuff, you know, these great inventors that that there's feeling that like like what you're talking about, that they're that they were getting information from like an alien species or whatever to build this stuff. Yes, I've heard many accounts of this and it makes sense if we view the brain not as the producer of our consciousness, but rather mm -hmm. as like the antenna receiver 
it's the processor of the consciousness that's beyond us, then creativity more broadly is what you're describing. Creative right. ideas. Where how do where does a, a new idea come from? I, I don't like it. Where it just comes out of nowhere for all of us. Mm-hmm. It's could be that we're picking up something from our antenna. And maybe it comes from some of these other whirlpools within the stream that have strong telepathic abilities. So I gave the example of the 32% versus 25%. Those studies are done on average everyday people who don't claim to have any special abilities. They haven't worked on their abilities. So that's the low end. Then you have studies done at the U.S. government where they were running psychic spying programs for decades. And... Those people would be like the superstars where they're doing, they're doing way better than 32%. So imagine if you had other species out there who are in tune with their abilities, maybe they could easily implant things in our mind effectively through telepathy. Why not? Well, you think about people like Gene Roddenberry and the stuff that he came up with for Star Trek and, the, and how much of that has become reality. Right. And it's fascinating. That we're using now. It's fascinating to think. Yes. And there's so many cases of that, of where did that come from? How do they predict so from so far in advance? It does make you wonder. So, um, but like you said, you just said you, you wrote three books. I, I, I saw your uh, book. Four books. Yeah. Four books. Okay. Yeah. I'm off. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. <laughs> um, so if you were to con- have a, ma- a massive conclusion about everything, what would that conclusion be? It's a great question. Well, a big part of it is this idea that we are part of an interconnected consciousness. Mm -hmm. We are both separate and not separate at the same time, which is paradoxical. And it's just beyond what we can comprehend, but it seems to be the case. And another part of the paradox of all being interconnected is that on one level, this consciousness appears to be made out of unconditional love because people who achieve these states of consciousness, they say the same thing from a near death experience state to certain psychedelics, to certain meditation experiences. They talk about this interconnected love field that we're a part of. So on one level, there's no good or evil because everything's just oneness. Mm -hmm. But on another level, because we are separate, there is this duality as people like to say that we do have a spectrum and this applies to the beings in the universe, both on this planet and probably elsewhere where Mm -hmm. some appear to be very benevolent, and others appear to be not so benevolent. And the way I look at it is there's sort of like a a spiritual battle that's ongoing, probably in many dimensions. And we're trying to evolve toward a state of unconditional love, but we're faced with these challenges of the evil that's pulling us. And that's generally my worldview. But what comes to mind too is a mother definitely has a connection to their child. You know, they can tell when there's something wrong with their kid without even knowing, you know, without even physically knowing you know like if the kid falls at school they get a feeling you know yeah. and, and they know and so i've seen it with, with with parents i've seen it with friends too some friends just have that connection now going into where you were talking about a child that, that has thought about their past lives could that be connected to say a past life you know when you feel that connection with somebody else there are many people that theorize that that we have these f- things that we're attracted to and things that we're very averse to or have fears of, and we don't necessarily know where those come from. And many scientists might point to our genetics, and that could be part of it too. But like you say, Charlotte, there might be something beyond that on a metaphysical level, mm-hmm. and we just don't remember the source always, especially so at the University of Virginia when they've studied over 2,500 cases of children with past life memories, the memories start to fade as the child gets older. Right. So it's like an amnesia kicks in. But maybe the feelings don't go away. You just don't remember the source of it. So you might feel an affinity toward a person that you meet. And it's like, I've known you, but you don't remember the source of a past life. It's definitely possible. 
The other thing that comes to mind too is, you know, it's like what, what I found in paranormal studies is that, you know, when kids are little, their abilities are really high. But then as life, you know, as like you say, as life kicks in, those get pushed to the back, you yeah. know, of the brain or whatever. And they tend to forget. And it always takes some kind of event to, to, to get those feelings back, like a near-death experience or something. Now, going back to the ancient history, like, you know, the, the theories that the aliens were here back in Egypt, ancient Egypt and stuff. You know, I think I have a theory that we were trained to do this stuff. That's where we got the, tra- the, the initial training from. And we've evolved from there. And sometimes, like I said, it gets pushed back. But it's still there. Yeah. Well, it's certainly possible because if you look at cultures all over the world, including Egypt, but not just Egypt, they talk about the sky beings coming to teach them things. Mm-hmm. The, the star people, I mean, it's all over the world, very similar stories. And who knows, maybe they're different species that came, maybe in some cases they're the same species. We were taught things and it seems like we've almost gone backwards. Like we had these abilities at one point. It's just a common theme in my research and we're trying to re-remember and get back to that place. Yes. And there's times that some people are more adept at it than others. Yes. Yeah. And also there, there does seem to be a genetic component to these abilities. So I'm on the board of an organization called the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Mm-hmm. And it was, a founded by, it was founded by Edgar Mitchell in the 1970s. He's an Apollo 14 astronaut. And he had an experience in space that he claims he felt the oneness. So when he came back, he founded this institute to look at all that stuff. And there's a, a preliminary study on on this connection between genetics and psychic abilities, because it hasn't really been studied much. And at the early results suggest that there is a connection. So some people might just be naturally more inclined to have this stuff. And you hear about people like it runs in families, mediumship abilities. Um, So you might have a natural inclination and then there's training on top of it. Like Mm -hmm. I hear with remote viewing, there's all kinds of courses that are offered and like Russell Targ, who I interviewed for my podcast, he talks about how even though for the U.S. government, he was working with the best psychics in the world, he can teach anyone to do it. And it's like sports, if you think about it that way, like you have natural ability, then there's training on top of it. I think our psychic abilities are similar. I agree. And I think I think, you know, for older people that don't feel they have the abilities, they do have the abilities. They just need to go back through the training and, and, and bring those abilities back out. I mean, I talk to people. What makes me laugh is when I talk to people that will say, well, I don't have any psychic abilities yet. This happened. Right. I saw this happen in my mind's eye. And then you're like, well, dude, that's what you're, that's what you're talking about. What, what are you thinking? You know, I think, I think your study is absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's, and it feels like the more I learn, the more I realize that there's more to learn. And that's the state I'm in. Like these, these, there's good evidence with some of these studies. There are lots of anecdotes out there, but I still don't feel like I fully understand it. And I don't feel like I understand our history, how we got to this point of having such amnesia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's great too, that there are scientists that are looking into this because, you know, all you ever hear about are the people that are, that are putting it, are putting the stuff down. No, that doesn't exist. That doesn't happen. But yet there's, it's nice to know there's people doing research. Yes. And that shocked me when I started in this field, looking at this stuff. I couldn't believe that like Princeton University, where I went to undergrad, I had no mm-hmm. idea this existed. They had a lab for nearly 30 years run by the former dean of engineering. So high up in academia where they were studying mind matter interactions, remote viewing. They were doing scientific studies on this stuff. Uh, University of Virginia, Institute of Noetic Sciences. This is all out there. And yet, like you say, Charlotte, there are some scientists, very prominent ones, who will say things like, 
there's no evidence for psychic abilities. And in my first book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, I, I laid out a chart in chapter one, where on the left side is all of the scientific evidence and like Dr. Ed Kelly from the University of Virginia saying, look, the statistical evidence is so strong. And then you have someone on the right-hand side of the columns who's very prominent saying, there's no evidence. There's no statistical evidence. It's like someone's not right here. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> now let's talk about past lives because that's one of the topics in your books. What's your theory about past lives? Well, this is one of those paradoxical topics also. And I talk about this more in my second book and end upside down living mm -hmm. because if we're one consciousness, and also I didn't mention this before with my overall worldview is that consciousness exists beyond space and time. Mm -hmm. And that's how some of these weird like precognition can happen. Sure. Um, and um, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, could you remind me of the question? Past I got lives. One. Yeah. Let's talk about so, yeah. So this is, this is the paradox of past lives is that at one level, there's no time. So you can't have a past life <laughs> because if there's only, you know, something beyond time, then everything is simultaneous. Mm -hmm. But at the level of the whirlpools that we're all in, we're individuals and we exist with what, within what appears to be time. So at that level of reality, there is a past life. So I'm going to answer your question at that level of the level okay. of our perception. Okay. Uh, even though at some other level, it might just be a kind of an illusion, but I, I, I like the level that you're asking that because it seems to come up in all the evidence everywhere I look at for it. Um, the university of Virginia's research on this has two different types of evidence that I find really compelling. One is just based on the memories of children. So the child will say, I remember being a World War II pilot and giving very specific details of being in the plane and having a specific crash. And in cases like that, the best cases, the researchers are able to find historical records that align with what the child said. That's really compelling because sometimes it's not like they're talking about a famous figure. They're talking about very specific, sometimes esoteric things, and the researchers can find validation. In other cases, the children have birthmarks or physical defects that align with what happened in like around their death, for example. And in the strongest cases, the researchers can find medical records that validate that some person died in this way. They had, got, they had a gunshot wound, for example, and the child might have a deformity in that spot or a birthmark in that exact spot. That's very compelling. But um, there's also a field of research that came up with the University of Virginia's professors, but also elsewhere, is the notion that there is a period between lives. The child, and not only ch always children, other people too, will talk about this period where they were actually selecting the next body they were going into, which is, a, I know, a wild topic. Uh, but the idea is that in some cases, the children made a full choice where it was elective. And in other cases, they sort of had to go into that body. And in either case, there seems to be something about going into that body to have specific learning experiences. And those learning experiences could relate to a previous life of, let's say, the child or the, that, that soul, if you want to call it a soul, uh, didn't learn a particular lesson very well and wants to have a new opportunity. So they might enter a body that, ha that enables that opportunity because of where the child is born. And we have amnesia to it is the notion, the idea that we don't remember that period of selection because we come in the body. And then after a certain period of time, as we get older, the memories go away. And then it's almost like we're in school taking a test and we don't have the answers in front of us. That's where the amnesia comes in. That's fascinating. I've never heard of, I mean, I've heard things like, okay, you know, 
some sometimes we get the opportunity to experience things that that we didn't experience in our other life you know where we feel we had it too easy in the past life and then we decide no I'm, i want to do this this and this in my next life and then back we go but i've never heard it put that way to where we can choose to be in certain places to experience certain things yes it's something that is i when i talk to people it's very difficult to get one's mind around because it's like it's such a big concept and it's we don't have no access to that memory typically um it's actually one of the first concepts i came across in 2016 there's a book by robert schwartz called your soul's plan where he he's a past life regression hypnotherapist like many others where he he will take a person into a relaxed state and the idea is that when the brain's in that relaxed state it's able to access memories more easily so in some cases people literally go back into the past life. They are in that place. It's very clear. In other cases, it's not so clear. And sometimes people don't know if the memories are implanted and whatnot. But however, in some cases, there seems to be something happening. And even like the researchers at the University of Virginia who are skeptical of hypnosis, they've even said, look, there are some cases we can't explain. So I give that preface to say that Robert Schwartz, among others, like Michael Newton's another one, um, they kept finding when they put people in this hypnotic state that people were remembering this period between lives. So what he decided to do in his book, Your Soul's Plan, is he wasn't using hypnosis because he had seen the evidence elsewhere. There's a lot of other people doing that. But he decided to work with mediums, people that could tap into some someone's consciousness psychically. Mm -hmm. And he interviewed the soul of a living person through the psych through the psychic so the psychic was channeling the soul of the living person and then he was having a conversation with the psychic and this the person would be someone who had some horrible what we would consider to be a horrible life challenge mm -hmm. you know like and he has chapters on each thing so like rape incest some uh, some kind of sickness you know all the worst things you could imagine and in every case what he finds through these interviews is that at some level those challenges were planned by the soul in advance so that the person could get to a greater state of learning and typically self-love. That's the term that comes up a lot. And it's not like everything is predetermined. That also is one of the themes. It's like the person has decision points and maybe certain things are difficult to change, like it's fixed. You can't change it. But th there might be places where you could make a decision one way or the other. And if you make a certain decision, you could have a lot of unpleasantness. And it's like... Mm -hmm. You're going to have to learn by making that decision. In other cases, you make the right decision and you sort of transcend that challenge. Interesting, because that's you know, that kind of parallels the thought that we have different outs in this life. There's different opportunities to, I hate to say die, but I mean, there's different opportunities where we can either go one direction and die or just continue on the direction we're going or, the, or this other opportunity arises. So it sounds similar. Yes. And you're reminding me of a case. And I, this is a book I read years ago. So I hope I remember the details properly. But th there was a woman who had cancer and he was in Robert Schwartz was entering interviewing her soul through these mediums. And I think she might have had the cancer like she it went away and then it came back. And it was it kept coming back because she hadn't made a certain mental shift. She kept going through pat looping patterns that were not helping her and that was that was manifesting as a sickness and it's exactly in line with what you're saying where it's like if you don't make the change eventually the cancer is going to kill you mm -hmm. and in her case she ended up i guess having the shift but she faced more challenges because she wasn't making the shift that makes a lot of sense do you think that you know it's like like we're past lives are concerned that maybe because i was just thinking when you were talking to me that maybe it's like another dimension because i know 
there's a lot of people that believe that while we're here in this dimension, there are other dimensions that are running parallel to us. And maybe these, and maybe I'm, I'm just saying, just throwing us out there that maybe these dimensions might either be from the future or it's our past that's running parallel. And somehow at some point they overlap into this dimension. Yeah, it very well could be. And mm -hmm. we just have to remember how little we can see with our eyes. Like right. our eyes only show us a tiny uh, sliver of the electromagnetic spectrum. There's so much out there that we're not perceiving. And that, so that makes what you're saying very possible. And also if consciousness is beyond space and time, it allows for all kinds of weird stuff with time. Um, you're reminding me as you, as you were speaking, uh, the spiritual teacher, David Hawkins, who passed away several years ago, he used to give the analogy of light shining through a crystal. You end up with um, almost like a hologram, but it's just from this one source of light, even though it manifests as multicolored. And he says, basically, you can look at that manifestation through different lenses. And each way you look at it could be as we interpret a different point in our time, what we call time. But in reality, it's just this one oneness that came from the, uh, from the light mm -hmm. that is being, you know, portrayed and interpreted through this other lens. So in that sense, all of the past lives, this goes back to my earlier point, are sort of simultaneous lives. And we tap into memories or maybe they're literally happening at the same time, uh, which is, I don't think we can comprehend. Uh, because then it re leads to weird questions about causality. What's causing what? If we had a past life that's leading to a fear in this life, that seems like a sequence. Mm -hmm. But if they're at the same time, how could that be? And the, where my mind always comes out on this is there are certain things like the concept of infinity. We know it's real, but our limited brain cannot compute what that is. Right, right, right. This is all very fascinating to me. Um, when we talk about UFOs, because I... I I know one of your books is on that. What did you find with that study? Sure. Well, with, with regard to UFOs and aliens and things like that, it was something I came across early in my studies just because like the minute you look at the paranormal, that stuff comes up. And I was looking at past lives and some of the past life therapists were getting clients that said, um, I was on another planet. That's the life they remember. They remember being a different species. And one in particular, Dr. Linda Bachman, she was totally shocked because she was a conventional psychologist and then she got into past lives. And then all of her clients were like saying very similar things about being aliens on other planets. So she ended up writing about that. Um, so it's, it's something I've been looking at for a while, but it wasn't until this past year, literally a few weeks ago is when my new book came out and then to upside down contact. So it's a relatively recent thing for me to look at this, you know, to focus all my energy on the UFO phenomenon. And one of the things I think drew me to the topic to the point where I write a book about it. I mean, there are lots of things I study and don't write about, but this one I was like, all right, there's, this is really big. Um, the, this, the researcher named Dr. John Mack, who was the head of psychiatry at Harvard and a Pulitzer prize winner. So when I tell people about that, who are not familiar with these topics, they're totally wowed that someone like that was studying alien abductions. So people that claimed they were taken aboard a UFO craft or taken somewhere and they had all kinds of procedures and sometimes like sperm and eggs were extracted or there was an insemination and there was a, a hybridization program to create a being that's part alien, uh, part human. Those are the kinds of things that John Mack was coming up with and he was extremely credible and looking at things from a psychiatric lens and concluding like this happened to these people. They're not psychotic. So that was super powerful for me. And then that leads to a whole rabbit hole of, well, what is this hybridization? 
what are these crafts? And when you look back throughout history, even in the biblical times, a lot of the stories like Ezekiel's vision, for example, but many others, you could say, wow, they saw a craft and they saw creatures. That was the term Ezekiel used. At least the translation says that. So I became interested in it. In my book, I have, you know, I, I go through some of the ancient cases and the modern cases of UFO accounts because it's related to all of this. Mm -hmm. There seems to be an intelligence that's interacting with our world. And in some cases, they manifest as a craft that is interacting with people and, and people can actually see these crafts sometimes. Interesting. And the thought of that too, like I said, that goes back like when I was talking about the ancient Egyptians of these alien people either teaching us or maybe they've been breeding with us all this time and putting people on, on earth that can help us develop more. Yes. Yeah, so two things come to mind with that. Number one, on the topic of like past lives and people coming from other planets, the researcher Mary Rodwell works with lots of children who say they were essentially sent to Earth at this time to help with our evolution, but they came from other galaxies. So it's like pretty interesting when children are saying things like that. Uh, but also with regard to actual history, um, there are interpretations of the Bible, for example, or even remote viewers who have looked back at our origins. There, there are all kinds of theories about the idea that human beings are the results of genetic modification by an advanced species in the same way that we can genetically modify living organisms based on how advanced we've become. Imagine species that are so much more advanced than us. Mm -hmm. They could easily, in theory, create a hybrid. And that's what many people have theorized when they look at ancient quote unquote myths, maybe they're actually history. And when they talk about the creation of man, maybe it was literal that these beings were in a laboratory doing that sort of a thing. And actually Joe McMonigle, who was a US government remote viewer, he was asked to remote view human origins. And he saw things like this. It was in a book he wrote in 1998. Um, so it raises lots of questions about what's what are we really? And we have to acknowledge even in our current science, DNA is a very new area of study. It's only mm -hmm. decades old. And there's this whole junk DNA, quote unquote, which is the majority of our DNA that's not well understood. I think it, there's, it's a potential rabbit hole that could totally revamp the way we look at ourselves eventually. Do you think that the alien beings are just trying to get us back to where we, like you say, somewhere along the line, we lost that ability. Yeah. You know, and like there's certain people that are trying to get it and trying to work on it to get it back. Do you think that this, these hybrid programs are their, their attempt of getting us back to where we were at one time? There are differing opinions on this. And this goes back to this notion of good and evil that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. because there are reports of encountering beings who seem to be malevolent. They want to enslave and deceive humanity and others that seem to want to help and want to help us evolve and get to the state of unconditional love. If we apply it to the hybridization programs, the same dichotomy exists. If some people say it's, it's for our benefit, like you were suggesting, and some people say, no, it's actually to create a species to overtake humanity. Mm -hmm. And so John Mack from Harvard, he was more on the, the benevolent side. He thought that, yes, these abductions can be traumatic for people, mm -hmm. but it's ultimately to help us evolve. And Dr. Kenneth Ring from the University of Connecticut ran, uh, looked at people who had near-death experiences and UFO encounters and found in both cases that people had spiritual transformations. So even though there was a trauma, like in a near-death experience, a person might be in cardiac arrest, then they're resuscitated and their whole life changes because they say, wow, I saw these other dimensions. Similar phenomenon sometimes with UFO encounters. They might have had a major trauma, but the experience broadened their horizon in such a way that they look at life differently. So John Mack said, you know, this could be a very positive thing. And on top of that, 
what some of his subjects said is that basically it's an evolutionary insurance program. Like if we, as a humanity, destroy ourselves, well, at least we have this other species that's a hybrid to preserve our genetics that could, you know, help in some way. Um, maybe, they're thinking, maybe they're thinking the same way. You know, if we destroy ourselves, then Earth has, you know, our, I hate to say our seed, but Earth, you know, Earth has our, our the Earth people have, have our genetics and it's going to continue in some way. Yes. And this notion of seeding planets, that's something that comes up a lot of my research of Earth is one place where we've been seeded by these beings. But there are other places maybe for what you're for the same reason you're saying, like preservation of their own genetics. Right. But in any event, like those people think that it's generally benevolent. But then there are other people like Dr. David Jacobs from Temple University, who also looked at people, uh, cases of abductions under hypnosis. And what the people told him, his interpretation of what they said was the opposite. It was they're creating hybrids, these aliens, mm -hmm. and these are gray aliens who work with insectoid beings like praying mantises. This is what people say. And some reptilian beings. So not human. And some actually do look human in other cases of just mm -hmm. uh, encounters. But they're, they're doing this hybridization program because they want to take over the planet and they want to create beings that are indistinguishable from humans except for the fact that they have the advanced mental abilities of these aliens, but they look like humans. And he calls that these, these really advanced hybrids, hubrids. Mm -hmm. They are just indistinguishable. And what the people tell him, you know, the, the subjects that this is a, this is not benevolent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Facebook user says my mother was considered very intelligent when she was younger. And because of her having a high IQ, I believe it was the government or whomever reached out to her possibly through her school. Um, they wanted to run tests on her to study her IQ, but she re I guess she refused. My my mom said that she and her grandma, my, she and the, the grandma, this person, uh, had telepathy and said that her, you know, the the, the, the two girls did, and uh, they had a conversation in their sleep. In fact, she and her had a conversation in their sleep one night, and she says, "Do, do government agencies look for people with these gifts, and why?" Hmm. That's well, a great question. Thank you for asking it. It's something that comes up in my research a lot, that government programs, not just in the U.S., want to know who these people are. And probably for intelligence reasons on one level, like if, if someone is super psychic, why not use that to help your nation? And that's, I think, part of the psychic spying program was using people that were just so incredible with psychic abilities to be able to figure things out, like in the Cold War. That's when it started. So there's that element of it as well. Um it, this this area of like children with psychic abilities in government also comes up in the context of what's known as MK Ultra. It's a declassified government program, which is it's a bit of an unpleasant topic because it involves typically forms of torture to dissociate the mind and actually create multiple personalities. But in that process, it enhances psychic abilities. And this is something that researchers find. Uh, Kenneth Ring from the University of Connecticut, Helene Wabe, who studies channeling. There's this theme that when people are able to dissociate, not always at the level of literally having a split personality, but even just a little bit, it's associated with psych enhanced psychic abilities. And what happens in these government programs, which have been declassified, is that they go really far with the dissociation of actually creating multiple personalities. And those personalities have an amnesic block. So they don't know the other ones there and they can be triggered. So it's like pretty heavy duty stuff because it's, it's an invisible, uh, phenomenon really because you could talk to someone and not know this other personality is there 
part of it to, to your uh, listener's question could relate to this psychic phenomenon that when the personality is dissociated, not only can you program that subpersonality to do whatever you want as the government through mind control, you could also have someone that's highly psychic to use for government purposes. Sure, sure, sure. And what about speaking to aliens? I mean, could they be developing people to speak with the aliens too? That is something that came up in my research as well. And in my new book, An End to Upside Down Contact, I reference uh, Dan Sherman, mm -hmm. who wrote a book called Above Black. He claims he was part of one of these programs within the U.S. government. So it was hidden within a, a publicly available, like a, pub, a program that people knew about, but it was like classified within that. So it was hidden. And he was what's known as an intuitive communicator with gray aliens within the government. That was his claim. And when the government came to him to bring him into this program, because he was already in the military, they told him that his mother was abducted and stuff might've happened in the womb, for example, or they knew he was going to, she was going to have a certain type of child. So it implied you know, to, I don't know exactly how it went, right. that maybe he was part of the continuation of an abduction that happened in the 60s to, for him to be an intuitive communicator, you know what I mean, in, in right. the current times, which if that's true, if his story is true, you never know, it implies a level of secrecy that's really hard to fathom, that all this stuff's been going on for decades, and we just don't know about it as a general public. Like you say, it's a rabbit hole. You can just yeah. keep going and going and going and going. What do you think is going on with all this? Your opinion, not the government, but you. Yeah. Well, my opinion, and it's a relatively uninformed opinion because I'm doing research, but I don't have direct exposure to these programs, Absolutely. you know, but I, I think that we are we're a species with major amnesia and we're just generally ignorant. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean it in a descriptive way in that mm -hmm. we, we just do not know who we are, where we're from. And, I don't think it's benevolent. I think there, there is that ignorance is imposed on us in a sense that this knowledge is very powerful. And for probably who knows how long throughout human history, there's been a desire to suppress it and then also desire to bring it out. I think there's the dark and the light. So that's where we are today. And like when I look at things happening in the world, we see lots of turmoil. To me, it's just a manifestation of this dark light working itself out and that we are at a phase maybe where we can transcend some of the secrecy. And that's maybe where the disclosure is coming from. And that's part of the reason I feel so compelled to write books on this topic and have these conversations. Because once I know from my own experience, once one is exposed to this information, it changes everything. Like in my career, I was started at my firm as an associate, became a partner. Like that was how I looked at life. And I ended up leaving my firm because I wanted to focus on all this stuff, even though before my priorities were all about those more material type accomplishments. Mm -hmm. So if someone like me could have that kind of a shift, imagine, you know, and I've seen this in other people too. Um, I think it's critical for all of us to just wake up. Well, that also makes me think about the religions and stuff and how, you know, the, the whole thing with the creation and all that, because this could completely change views on that. Too. Well, I mean, it's going to cause a lot of problems, but it could change views on that. Yeah, well, it totally could. And that's what I look at a little bit in this new book and into Upside Down Contact is comparing these ancient stories. There's some great new books out by a man named Paul Wallace, who is an Australian archdeacon. So he has a very traditionally Christian view on things, but has started to look at the extraterrestrial lens that maybe these beings in the ancient myths and even in the Bible, maybe they were advanced species that have been interacting with us for a long time, which he writes about in his books, how damaging it's been for his reputation within the church because it goes against the the dogma 
Uh, but I think you're right. That's, uh, it gets to a broader point of what is religion. And, and the way I look at it as someone who was never even religious before I got into this, and still I wouldn't call myself religious today, is that the teachings have hints of truth. And there is important stuff there that's probably very ancient, that's hinting at the same oneness, interconnectedness, mystical, paranormal nature of reality. But on top of that, there could be some manipulation. And maybe the there's been tampering with some of the the words over time to manipulate people or to keep people within the religious institution for financial reasons, for example. There's all kinds of ways that people could be manipulated through religious organizations. And what, yeah. you're, what you're alluding to is an important point, which is that the, the shift for people can come from two angles, two extremes. One is where I was, which is the more atheistic, agnostic. There's no paranormal. There's no afterlife. It's very disruptive for that to wake up, but it's also disruptive to the other end of it, which is the dogmatic religions where this is what my scripture says, and it's only this. But what if the scripture is only partially correct? And so maybe there's a middle ground for everyone as we wake up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the aliens are among us? Probably, just mm -hmm. based on the research that I've done. It seems that they're, that these beings, at least some of them, have an ability to mask themselves, to shapeshift. Even John Mack, from Harvard, he wrote, the aliens appear to be consummate shapeshifters. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are many accounts of this, and that makes possible this idea that maybe they are among us. If you ask someone like David Jacobs, who, who has this more negative view on the abductions and the hybrid programs that they're trying to take over the planet, uh, his book is called, his most recent book is called Walking Among Us, that these hybrids are are here in some cases, but they're indistinguishable because they're because of the genetic tinkering. Sure, it's sure. it's possible. Well, I mean, what makes me think when you talk about shapeshifters is they can not only, I mean, they look like their normal form, but they can shift to, to at least look like us. So we would have trouble identifying them. Yes. And that's what people say repeatedly. Um, I, I mentioned a few cases in my book, and this actually occurs in kind of a strange context, but in a sexual context of uh -huh. these memories of having a sexual encounter with at, at what at one point looks to be a human. And in one case that I quote the woman under hypnosis, she had this memory of the man. And in both cases, it was a woman having a sexual encounter with a man who appeared to be very attractive to her. So it was almost like what they were appearing to be was tapping into their mind of what they knew this woman would find to be attractive. But then the face would somehow shift. Mm -hmm. And in this case of the woman under hypnosis, she remembered it would shift to a gray alien. And then she would become afraid and then it would shift back like it was reading her mind. And in the other case, it was a woman saying that the man uh, looked like a reptilian when he wasn't in this form that she found to be very attractive. So there are these stories re repeatedly where it's it's in a manipulative fashion that they're able to shapeshift. I heard about those. I've heard about like where people think it's that they can create some kind of hologram to make you believe that, you know, that, 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 that you're looking at some gorgeous guy and. Then it turns out <laughs> it's like, ah, it's, you know, praying about this person or something. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Facebook user has a little story for us. And let's see what we got here. Friend told me she saw three men who looked human but walking away. They moved like jello and had been witnessed by a group of 20 people at a fair in another state. She also witnessed an officer in the side of the road with lights on as she was driving down the highway in Nebraska. She pulled over and the officer talked real low. And hard to understand, but when he put his hand on the car door, she and her sister noticed he had a huge green flat thumb. They told him, okay, officer, have a nice day, and drove off fast. 
she's asking, have you heard any of these stories like this? And and do you think extraterrestrial beings has something to do with, with many Native uh, American women disappearing by the states around Nebraska? Hmm. Well, with regard to the first question, is I, I've heard of many cases like that. And it's it's difficult to track scientifically, like the study on telepathy, that's one where you can have two people and they're, you know, it's, it's very controlled. These anecdotes are much more difficult to control. And I, I'll give a quote from uh, Kerry Mullis, a Nobel prize winner in chemistry who encountered a, what he called a glowing raccoon in the woods that spoke to him, said, hello, doctor. And then there was like a period of missing time. He came back, doesn't remember anything. And um, he said afterwards, look, I can't bring a glowing raccoon in the lab. You can't bring a UFO in the lab. But these things are real. They happen. They're anecdotes. So I'm I'm open to those stories because there are so many of them. Uh, but it's just it's hard to know. And also, like the human eye, like I said before, how, how does it relate to that of what our eye can perceive? Like, is it what's a hologram? And so um, I don't know. And then the second question, please remind me. That was she was just asking if you've heard of any cases where the disappear you know, where, where it's affected like. Like Nebraska. Native American women Nebraska, yeah. You know, people disappearing. Yeah. Well, there are certainly many cases of Native Americans. Um, and there's a woman named Dr. Artie Sixkiller Clark from Montana State University who's who's spoken, like done incredible research talking to various tribes of Native Americans. And they talk about the sky gods and the blue people and the reptiles. So there is, this has been happening for a long time within those cultures. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not personally aware of missing people stories within in Nebraska, but maybe it's something that Dr. Uh, Clark has looked at. Sure. But I have heard stories elsewhere. So I talked about Paul Wallace before. He references in his book um, the people known as Mami Wata from Ghana. These are essentially humanoid alien beings who are known to abduct people and then return them. So the story that he tells is that he was talking to his in-laws about his research because he was an archdeacon and he was saying, look, I think there might be extraterrestrials involved in these biblical stories. And they were like, not surprised at all. And they started telling him the tale of the Mami Wata and their family friend that they knew who was abducted for three years. So their child was abducted and the child came back claiming she was taken by these beings um, into an underground facility and came back. Uh, in some cases, they, they report that they, they come back with greater health there's actual healing that occurs. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, based on what Wallace says. And he says that it's not just in Ghana. He, he reports similar stories like in the Caribbean and elsewhere in Africa. So why not? It could easily be happening elsewhere. Well, what makes you wonder about like the whole uh, missing 911 cases? Right. You know, they just simply, I mean, they're, they're walking like 40 feet in front of you and then suddenly they're not there. Exactly. What's you know, happening? <laughs> and they find them like on top of a mountain, like what, ten, eight miles away over horrible, horrible terrain and stuff, you know? And doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be like confined to one state. I mean, it's, it's happening everywhere. Yes. And if these beings have this kind of advanced technology where they can, for example, uh, make themselves appear to be one way to us mm -hmm. when they're not that way, or they can create missing time. Mm -hmm. or they can, it's no, known as being switched off where they make the person like they don't, the person doesn't even think to take out their camera when they see the UFO there. It's a mind control. Then why wouldn't they be able to just move someone from one place to another that where our eyes can't see how it happens. They're just using advanced technology. Right. Right. Or they're working in, um, interdimensionally as well. Yes, exactly. Where we're not seeing the space time in the same way they are. So to us, it looks like they moved in a distance, but they're just using physics essentially in a different way. 
So, uh, you know, um, in all your research and doing all this, are there are, are there parallels? I mean, like I, I, I told, I, like when I wrote you and I told you, I, I, after reading the abduction in the Mojave, I thought it was interesting because some of these sightings of these aliens, like after the fact, when they come through the walls, like ghosts, people are reporting that, that, that they can go through walls. People are reporting that the room gets really icy cold. I mean, could the, is there a possibility and that as a ghost hunter, I'm no longer hunting ghosts. I'm hunting these aliens that are able to shape shift and speak in whatever tones that, that, that they want. And maybe they're picking it from my brain. Yeah. Well, there's, that is certainly a theory that I've heard is that some of these creatures are, some of the encounters are the same creature that is just shape shifting into different forms to fool us. Like they're tricksters. So that's one theory that I hold. Another theory that I hold is that they might just be different species. So you might have a species that is interdimensional and manifests as a ghost because that's the type of species you're dealing with. And in other cases, it's a reptilian and they are actually distinct. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, it just makes me wonder. You have to read that because the things were just the things that were going on with these people after the abduction were so similar to the paranormal cases that that that, that I that I told you. Yeah. Um, question out of the chat room is, can you give us some examples of any experiences you had from the new world of stuff you've been learning? Well, I haven't encountered any of these beings, at least not that I'm consciously aware of because people have encounters and then their memories wiped out. So it's Mm -hmm. possible that many of us have had experiences that we just don't remember. Uh, but I don't have any conscious memory of that. And I've never seen it being appear. I've never heard voices, but Mm -hmm especially when I started in 2016 and I was working with psychics, that was interesting for me, but I had lots of synchronicities where something very esoteric would enter my life, like a weird term, but then it would keep appearing to the point that it was in my face and beyond any kind of like statistical reasonableness. You know, this was beyond chance and it was happening over and over again to the point that I had to write these things down because it was so crazy to me that these, that it was happening. Um, that for me ended up being really powerful because I was running the numbers in my head. I'm like, well, how could this be occurring this, this time? Like, and then multiply it by 10. Why, how could that happen? Something's going on. And that's probably the extent of my mystical experiences in terms of like, well, in terms of that, maybe external realm, but internally through meditation. And this is more recent. Like when I left my firm at the end of 2019, I went on some meditation retreats right before the pandemic. Of course I didn't know at the time that we were going to shut down the world, but, um, Right around that time, I started meditating a lot and having physical experiences of energy. That's the best way I can explain it to you. And very brief in two instances where the density of my body felt incredibly light and there was this immense pleasure that overtook my body. And it was so intense that my body shut it down, but it was just very mystical. And it aligns with a lot of the research I've done on uh, like spiritual awakenings. So that was very powerful for me too. Let me ask you about dreams. Do dreams, I mean, could dreams be a way they're communicating with us as well? Are yeah. where our psychic abilities come out? It easily could be. Dreams is an area that I really don't feel like I understand. I've looked at it a lot, but it's a mystery because it's something that's hard to define. Like in, in some of these abduction cases, people will describe the state that they were in as dreamlike. But then they'll say, well, it really wasn't a dream. It was just this other state of consciousness. And I'll call it a dream. And it points to me to this notion of, 
different dimensions of consciousness that we can tap into. And the dream state might be like one frequency band that our consciousness is in. And maybe like you say, because we're in a relaxed state, it could be a place where we're communicated with. And in my first book, I talk about precognition. I have a whole chapter on that. But in particular, I also talk about precognitive dreams because there are cases where a person sees something and then it happens right after. And I've actually had that happen like two times where it was, it wasn't exactly as I was shown, but something happened that I remembered in my dream that it happened in real life. And it makes you wonder, is, is there a being that's putting the memory there in your dream? I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, what about the other dimensions? We, were talked, we kind of talked about that earlier. How many dimensions do we know of right now? And how many, how many do you think there might be? I've heard so many different theories on this. And my guess is it, there could be infinite dimensions and maybe fractals of like dimensions within dimensions. I don't fully understand the hierarchy. Like I know in Buddhism and, and some physicists look at this, they try to come up with these different planes. Like there's a lower astral and a, like different versions of the astral plane and certain types of beings inhabit these different areas. Mm -hmm. Like in a near-death experience state, when someone is immersed in unconditional love, for example, and they talk about heavenly realms, that might be one type of dimension. And then when a person has a negative near-death experience, which it happens in the minority, um, they describe it as more hellish. That might just be a different dimension of consciousness. Maybe dreams are a different dimension. I don't know. It could be endless. Well, when you talk about near-death experiences too, and I know it's rare to hear of a negative one. I heard of one of a guy that was diving, I think it was off of Maui, and he drowned. And he saw what his version of hell is. Why do you think, you know, why do you think those are so rare? This is a big mystery for the researchers. They don't understand the negative cases and they don't know if they're so rare because they're actually uncommon or if it's because people don't want to talk about them because they tend to be very traumatic when they do have them, even though the person learns something. Sometimes they actually encounter like demonic type beings mm -hmm. in them. And this comes up also in my research of this light dark again, not just in the near death experience. So to me, that actually lines up. Now, why would it be though? Let's just say that they are less common. Um, it, some people speculate that the near-death experience shows us what we need to know at the time for our learning. And then we're, it's a resuscitation. So it's not a death experience. The person comes back to life. So it could be that there is a learning that's needed. And some people, they might need to see something negative, whereas others don't. Now, it's my opinion that, like you talk about the light dark, that in order for us to be who we are, we have to have some dark in our world. There has to be a balance. It can't be all, you know, hugs and laughter and all that. So maybe that's what they're doing is, is they're just trying to provide us with that. You know, I don't know. It's just like you, who knows, who knows what they're trying to provide us with or yeah. whoever's trying to do it. Yes. Well, it's something I've written about as well. This notion that the darkness is what enables us to see the light. We need the contrast. If we didn't have contrast, we wouldn't be able to appreciate things. So for that reason, it makes sense. Um, and also it allows us to evolve because when we see the darkness, it shows us something that maybe we want to get past. It shows us what not to do. And we need to have that. Otherwise, it would just be all maybe boring oneness. And some speculate that that consciousness was bored. The one consciousness was bored and it wanted to have diversity and duality. And therefore, we have many, many dimensions, many beings and dark light. That's just part of our reality. Absolutely. So what's next for you? It's a great question. Uh, my answer is I don't know. And that's really been my answer throughout this whole journey. When I started six years ago, I've just followed the next thing that was of interest. 
And I left my job right before the pandemic. And since then have written three new books after the first one. And I didn't expect to do that at all. So I'm in this phase right now because my last book, An End to Upside Down Contact, just came out a few weeks ago. So I'm having these types of conversations and doing interviews, but I don't know what's next other than I, there's a lot that I don't know and I'm continuing to research. And let me ask you this, when you started, like, like you say, it's a rabbit hole. When you started doing your research, was it a case of, you know, you're, you're doing the research and then one thing kept leading to another and another and another. And the next thing you know, you had multiple books written. Basically, that's how it's happened. And each of the books has been centered around a particular topic. So I'll research a lot of things and then I'll like latch on to one particular idea and then do a ton of research around that. But then there are those other topics that have been left that I haven't fully pursued yet. And that's what seems to happen. It's almost like I get to the point where I've learned enough where I feel like I have a framework to be able to express to people who haven't spent all the time I've spent. So I'm, I think to myself, well, why don't I put this in a book to save people time and put all the resources there because people are busy. And then, um, then I'll feel like it's off my, my back. Cause it's almost like a burden when I have all this stuff in my mind, I just need to get it out, but I have to get to the point where it's filled up to the top and I have to release it. That's when the books seem to come out. Absolutely. How can people find you? My website is the easiest way. It's my name, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. And all four of my books are on Amazon. They are on Kindle, hard copies, and Audible. And my podcast is called Where Is My Mind, which is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major players. When do you broadcast your, your podcast? Well, it's actually a, a pre-recorded series where I take clips from the people that I interviewed. Mm -hmm. We only did one season. It's eight episodes from 2019. And so we haven't done any since then. I had a production company work with me. Cool. I will. Um, <laughs> Facebook user says I'm getting one today. Yeah, those books are cool. I can see <laughs> that. You. Those books are really cool. I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, well, thank you so much uh, for having me, Charlotte. Some other time. This was great. I learned so much from you, you know, talking about this stuff. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me and for asking such great questions to you and to your audience. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. You have a good day. Good rest you of the day. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. That was a good show, man. I learned so much. I didn't expect to learn that much. Wow. I got to wrap my head around a lot of the stuff he was talking about. Tomorrow, my guest was supposed to be Eric Mandel to talk about cryptids. Eric Mandel is a professional musician. He's a jazz musician. And he had, had a concert tonight. I, I used it in past tense. And uh, it got rained out. So he's going to be doing his concert tomorrow night. So what we're doing is, since I didn't read Lizzie Borden on Sunday, I'm going to go ahead and read Lizzie Borden tomorrow evening. So that'll be a switch to do it on a weekday evening. So I'm going to be doing that tomorrow instead of having a guest on because it's the last minute, you know, of a cancellation. So that's, what, that's what's going to be happening tomorrow. We will read Lizzie Borden. So... Get your jammies on and put your slippers on and all that good stuff and have your little snackies and we're, we're going to have reading time. So that way if you're on the East Coast, you can crawl on into bed, you know, and you can fall asleep and do all that good stuff. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope everybody had a good 4th of July. I know I, I did too. I was quiet except for the, the, the war that was going on outside my door. But other than that, it, it, it was really quiet. Made ribs, you know, did the usual stuff. But uh, I want to thank you all for coming tonight, and I will—I I am going to see you definitely see you tomorrow. You know, uh, to read at 6:30 p.m. the usual time, to read uh, to continue. I think it's part eight of our reading for Lizzie Borden. It could be nine. I think it's eight. 
so many. But uh, that's what we're going to do tomorrow. So it's going to be kind of nice. So I want to thank, again, thank everybody for coming. And I'll see you tomorrow. And here is Mark's information for his books. And uh, here we go. Website, markgober.com. Hope I said his name right. Uh, and End to Upside Down Thinking is one of the books. And End to Upside Down Living is another book. And The End to an End to Upside Down Contact. Little UFO on there. And then he does have a fourth book out, which I didn't get. Sorry. Happens to the best of us. And they're all available at Amazon, so you can check them out. Check them out. Check, check them out. Check them out at Amazon. And again, I want to thank everybody. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're trying to get the word out about the show, and we're also equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Um, we ask you, if you're watching from YouTube, please subscribe. There's a little ghost down in the bottom right-hand corner. With a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat on. And just click on him and you can subscribe. We've got over 250 videos over there. Varying topics. And I think there's a little something for everybody. Because we don't just cover paranormal. If you're watching from Facebook. Please follow. You know we're looking for the more followers the merrier. And if you're on Twitch and you're watching this. Please follow. And if you're on. I just had a brain for it. Twitter. Check us out over at YouTube. And if you're on TikTok. Please follow. Okay, that is the brain fart I had. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. And uh, real quick, uh, as usual, this is my PBS moment. Uh, this all comes out of my pocket, the, the, the paranormal team and the radio show. And I want to keep it going. You know, we're, we're on our second year doing this. Uh, we're on our 209th show, I think, or 210th show tonight. And uh, I love doing this. I'm a journalist. This is what I do. And uh, I'm a retired journalist, but this is what I do, right? I love doing this. I love interviewing people for different topics. If you can help me out to pay the bills a little bit to keep this show on the air, that would be great. PayPal.me at California Haunts or Venmo and just type in California Haunts. Anyway, I appreciate every each and every one of you that came in tonight to listen to the show. And I will see you tomorrow for the reading of the Lizzie Borden book. Have a good evening. See ya.